morning again. So this uh, <clears throat> past week, you may or may not know, uh, was the, on August the 10th, was the um, 90th birthday of Legos. Legos are 90 years old, and I, I think Legos are amazing. If you will give yourself to them, and you will play with them in the, in your, on your living room floor, and you will build things out of them, for me anyway, it's almost a source of meditation. Legos are amazing. Well, along with Legos' birthdays, I did discover a few interesting, fun facts about Legos. I'm only going to share one of those with you. <clears throat> and it's going to require some audience participation. It's a math problem, sort of. Uh, and if I handed you a set of uh, two by four, six two by four blocks, uh, Lego bricks, if you had endless time on your hands, how many different combinations do you think you could make of those six? Lego bricks. No Googling the answer. Googling is cheating. Greg, cheating. It's cheating. <laughs> there is math today, but only one, only one math problem. Uh, I want you to just think about that. Come up with an estimate, nice round number in your mind. Write it down somewhere, put it in the Bible app live event. There's actually a place for you to do it there on a piece of paper, whatever. Just hold on to that. We'll come back to it in a little bit. For now, a brief recap. Last week, we began a, a brief three-week series of sermons on the topic of transformation. And during this series, we're going to uh, use the passage you heard read earlier from Acts chapter 2 each week, and then a couple other passages along the way, to look at three words that we believe are key for our personal spiritual transformation. Those words are intentionality, connection, and community. And by intentionality, we mean that we do not drift into spiritual maturity. We do not drift into having Christ formed in us, what we call Christiformity. We need a plan that engages the resources and the relationships that are necessary for transformation. And by connection, we mean the connection with God. Through God's Word, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, and in and through one another. And by community, we mean relationships with one another as sisters and brothers in Christ as we share life together, as we care for one another along the way. We need a place and a people to whom we can belong. Last week we looked at the, the word intentionality. This week we're moving on to the second word, connection. And so our mission statement at ECC is to become a community of people who know God, follow Jesus, and pursue God's purposes in the world. And that phrase that I've highlighted here, a people who know God, is actually a bit more densely packed than we might realize at first glance. It doesn't mean... Uh, to know about God. It certainly does include coming to know God in Christ for the first time, but it's more than that. It doesn't mean to know about God. That is good. I like good theology as much as anyone. It means to know God and to be known by God. And this knowing is a deep biblical kind of knowing. It's an experiential knowing of God. In fact, if I were to do it all over again today, I would have written that differently, to become a community of people who experience God follow Jesus and pursue God's purposes in the world. On the most fundamental level, that is what we mean by connection in this context. Experiencing God on a deep level, knowing that God is with us wherever we are, that God is Emmanuel, God with us, and becoming more and more aware of God's presence and God's work in us and in the world. The passage that we're using, as I said, for our basis comes from Acts chapter 2. It's a summary passage. Uh, in chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, it is the basis for our conversation about all these things, uh, intentionality, connection, and community. So once again, let's read it. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These earliest followers of Jesus, after the Spirit has come upon them on the day of Pentecost, were devoted They were intentional in their commitments to several things here. Several things through which they experienced a connection to God. They were devoted to these things. It brought into their lives an awareness of God, an openness to God. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with one another, to taking part in the sacrament of communion or the Lord's Supper, and then to prayer. And then later in the passage, we'll see them praising God together as well. Each of these words or phrases highlight for us ways in which we human beings can know and experience God and grow in our awareness of God and God's work in our lives. The phrase, the apostles' teaching, was very literal in this context. The apostles were literally physical and present and teaching them. But we don't have that today. We don't have them present with us in that way. Now today, we are devoted to the teaching of the apostles when we faithfully engage with God's word, the Old Testament, the New Testament. God speaks to us through Scripture. God connects with us through His Word. And so as we develop life groups and life group leaders this fall, we will be intentional in helping life group members to engage Scripture, the teaching of the apostles, as a regular part of their gatherings. Another way we connect with God, as the summary passage tells us, is in fellowship with other sisters and brothers in Christ. When we share our lives with one another, we are being the presence of Christ to one another, as we listen to one another's stories, as we pray for one another, even as we walk alongside one another, we're going through trial or loss or painful times, there too God connects with us and we with God through one another. Third, the breaking of bread, and in the breaking of bread, at the very least, we are talking about the sacrament of Holy Communion, and we celebrate that sacrament once a month here at ECC. But it goes beyond that. Later in the passage in verse 46, we read that uh, the response to the work that God was doing among these new believers, uh, what they did was they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Breaking bread is also simply about enjoying a meal together, eating together. What, What scholars refer to in the ancient world as table fellowship. Jesus was big into table fellowship. He brought all sorts of people very, uh, from very different backgrounds, people who uh, disagreed with one another greatly. He brought them to the table to share food together, eat together. Something happens when we share table fellowship with others. The early church practiced a communal meal called the agape feast or love feast. It was a place where a meal was shared and where God and the work that God was doing in and through the community was encountered and experienced and celebrated. For a brief season, uh, when Kim and I lived overseas and worked with Youth with a Mission, YWAM, in the Netherlands, for a brief season, about three months or so, we lived uh, outside of the city of Amsterdam in a more rural part of the Netherlands. And we lived on a farm. And on that farm were about 150 to 200 staff people and students who lived in uh, cabins and in, in small apartments there. And every Friday, 
every Friday we would come together for a love feast. Now, we actually ate almost every meal together anyway, but Friday was the love feast. We would come together. We would have a fantastic meal. Everybody's present. It was a picture for us of the community that God was growing in our midst. We fellowshiped together. We worshiped together. We prayed together. And the closest thing we have these days in this context, the closest thing we have to a love feast is a carry-in or a pitch-in. For those of you who are not from the state of Indiana originally, or if you're joining us online from outside of Indiana, that's what we mean by what the rest of the world calls a potluck dinner. Eating together matters. We know that. We have people over to our houses to eat, hopefully. We come together in restaurants to eat together. Eating together matters. Table fellowship. The last of the four things the early church devoted themselves to in Acts 2 was prayer. And when we enter into prayer together, we are speaking and listening to God. That's prayer 101. And as we do so, we are being spiritually formed One of the most important aspects of our prayer life, friends, is is not just about getting what we want off of our shopping list, like God is a vending machine or Amazon.com. One of the most important uh, reasons we do this is to commune with God, to connect with God in such a way that in the process we are being transformed. More literally, by the way, the passage says that these early followers of Jesus were devoted to the prayers, plural, the prayers prayers. That is, they prayed a set of prayers, memorized prayers, like the Psalms or the Lord's Prayer. That doesn't mean they never prayed spontaneously for one another when there was a need. I'm certain that they did. It just means that sometimes a written prayer, a memorized prayer, a line or two from one of the Psalms can help us to express in prayer what we might not have the words to express. I don't know if you've read the Psalms much, but if you do, you will discover that in the Psalms, there there are Psalms, there are verses to cover just about any emotion you can have, to cover almost any experience, situation you can encounter. And these Psalms are honest and real. Even Jesus prayed what has to be one of the most honest and real lines from the psalms while he's dying on the cross he prays out from psalm 22 my god my god why have you forsaken me it doesn't get any more real than that and then finally praising god praising god together is listed as a common communal occurrence in the early church and to praise god as we've been doing this morning is to connect with god in worship and in this case public and corporate worship What happens when followers of Jesus come together and worship God doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. It doesn't happen anywhere else in your life. And in the context, what happens in this congregation, in ECC, is unique and different than what happens in any other congregation. There's overlap. There's a lot of similarities. I'm not denying that. But it is unique. What we do here as this community of of believers is unique to us because we are unique. Every church you can think of also has a uniqueness when they gather in worship. All things being equal, regular corporate worship is not to be missed. It's important for our life together as a community. It's important for our formation and our connection to God. This is, 
This is probably a good time to just offer a gentle word of encouragement. And so if you in the room will excuse me for a minute, this is directed mostly at our friends at home who are worshiping with us. Here's the reality. We are meant to worship together as a community, as people, as sisters and brothers. And the pandemic has made that incredibly difficult to do and to get back to. Thank God, from the very beginning, we had and still have technology that enables us to live stream worship into your homes That is not going away. We are thankful for that. If you have a reason because of health, because of life stage, because you're on vacation, because you're new to ECC and you're just checking the service out a bit to see if you want to come for a visit, join us online. It's there. It's not going anywhere. But if you're worshiping at home today because you want to worship alone in your pajamas, that's a different story. Why? Because we need each other. We are meant for community. We need you. We need your input. We need your voice. We need your presence. We need a relationship with you. We need you, and you need us. Now, hopefully, if you've known me for very long at all, you know that there's absolutely no judgment or condemnation or guilt intended in that at all when I encourage us to come together in person as often as we can, if we are able. But I would be less than your pastor if I did not mention these things, because they are important. Besides, if it matters that much to you, you can come into the sanctuary in your pajamas. (laughs) My wife works in a public school, and they have pajama day at the public school. We can do it on Sundays. We already have the coffee for you, good coffee. I may regret the pajama remark. Over in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church, our other passage for this morning, he gets very personal about his own passion to connect with God in Christ more intentionally. After taking aim at those who think that a right relationship with God is all about keeping the Jewish law, what Paul refers to in this context as having putting confidence in the flesh, Paul begins to talk about himself. To be confident in our flesh is to think we can do all of this on our own. It is to think that our religious works will justify us in God's eyes or earn us God's favor in some way. And then Paul says this in verse 4 through 6. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul is dealing with Jewish religious leaders, legalists, who have wormed their way into a congregation made, mostly, made up mostly of Gentile, non-Jewish believers and trying to make these Gentiles obey the Jewish law in order to be fully brought into the fold of the Christian church. These are false teachers telling those who are new to the faith that there are some commandments, some things they must do in order to be able to truly come to Christ. But Paul will have none of it. In his former life, before he came to know Christ, Paul was a model citizen. He was a deeply religious person. He was a righteous person. He was faultless. And then he says this in verses 7 through 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, 
Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So almost a year ago, I preached at length on this passage. And if you want a fuller treatment of what's going on here, I preached it on October 10th, 2021. I put a link in the Bible app live event. For our purposes this week, let us take note that Paul has already come to faith in Christ and he didn't get there by working his way there. No one does. Not Jews, not Gentiles. Second, even though Paul has already gained Christ, come to Christ by faith, he seems to be saying that he still wants to gain Christ even more. In case we're not convinced that that's what's going on here, Paul continues, verses 10 through 14. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Last week I talked to you about the ellipsis in our Life Group's logo. Those three dots indicate that there is more. The Apostle Paul, known as the Apostle of Grace, says the same in Philippians 3. There is more. That's what that ellipsis means. There is more. There is more to be said. There is more to learn. There is more to experience. There always is Kim and I have been slowly working our way through <clears throat> what are called the Ignatian spiritual exercises over the past, well, more than a year now. And each week, we pray a prayer in this process where we uh, ask God for a specific grace for that week. And one of those prayers recently went like this. I pray for the following grace, to know Jesus more intimately, to love him more tense, intensely, and to follow him more closely. And then in the book, The Ignatian Adventure, author Kevin O'Brien says this about all that we might learn about God. He says, in that, we must acknowledge that no statement, no matter how artfully written, can capture adequately the mystery of God's laboring in your life. All statements about God end in an ellipsis of sorts with more to come. All statements about God end in an ellipsis of sorts with more to come. There's always more to come with God. As some have said, to say that God is a mystery is not to say that God is unknowable. It is to say that God is infinitely knowable. If we set our hearts and minds on it, if we surrender to the Holy Spirit, our growing connection with God, our deep knowing of God and experiencing of God's presence is Endless. Endless. Fortunately for us, we have all of eternity to get there. Now at this point, again, if you know me, you might expect me to draw a parallel between the infinite reality of knowing God and the size of the known universe. I'm not going to go there, except to say that the known universe, we think, is believed to be 92 billion light years in diameter, from what we know. 92 billion light years. 
Or I could talk about the oceans on Earth. The National Geographic website says that while 97% of the water on Earth is actually found in our oceans, it goes on to say, despite its size and impact on the lives of every organism on Earth, the ocean remains a mystery. More than 80% of the ocean has never been mapped, explored, or even seen by humans. A far greater percentage of the surfaces of the moon and the planet Mars has been mapped and studied than of our own ocean floor. Certainly, to say that the ocean is a mystery invites a comparison. We might say, on some level, that the ocean is not unknowable, it's merely infinitely knowable. But instead of all that, I'm going to make it a little more practical. I'm going to bring it a little closer to home. Legos. If I gave you six two-by-four Lego bricks, how many different possible combinations of those six bricks could you make if you had endless time on your hands and you were extremely bored? How many combinations of those six Lego bricks are contained, we might say, within the mystery that is Legos? If you tried to come up with an estimate at the beginning of the sermon, bring it to mind. The answer is six two-by-four Lego bricks can be combined in... 915,103,765 ways. Knock yourself out. 915,103,765 ways. That's incredible. Turns out, stepping on a Lego in your bare feet in the middle of the night can bring about almost that many uh, words. More than 915 million combinations are not endless and infinite, but they might as well be. They might as well be. My point here is that there is always more when it comes to six Lego bricks. Try as you may, you will not get to the end of them. The same is true for our connection with God. It's endless. It's infinitely knowable. There's always more. My prayer for you, my prayer for us, is that we're on that journey always. Not as a matter of guilt or condemnation, but as an invitation. You were made to know God. And not to stop once you cross the line that gets you into heaven. You were made to know God deeply and experientially. To quote from Blaise Pascal, I quoted this actual line a year ago, almost a year ago, on Philippians 3 as well. It bears repeating. When it comes to the reality of the endless mystery of God, for us, Blaise Pascal would say this, somewhere, something incredible is waiting to be known. Somewhere, something incredible is waiting to be known in our relationship with God, in the economy of God, in the grace of God, in the mystery of God. Somewhere, something incredible is waiting to be known by us by you. And if we're going to experience the spiritual transformation that God has for us, that the, the something incredible in our lives with God, we're going to need a plan that engages the resources and the relationships to get there. That speaks to the intentionality that we talked about last week. Once again, 
through prayer and much discussion and planning, we believe, I believe, that God has directed us toward life groups as a key for transformation and our effectiveness in the touchstones of transformation, welcome, and presence. <clears throat> Once again, with no judgment whatsoever, if you aren't yet ready to commit and connect in this way, if you can't right now, would you consider praying about becoming a part of a life group at ECC this fall? Would you go online to the address that's, uh, web address that's on your screens if you're at home and to, you can use a QR code in, in the room if you want to. Let us know you're interested. We picked up seven more people last week. We are at 127. We have 23 to go to get to our goal. I invite you to pray about it and to dive in as God leads. Let me, <clears throat> before I pray, let me just read one brief statement from Jesus about this connectedness. There's a whole lot more in John 15 that you could read. I'm not going to take time to do that. I want to read one statement. Jesus says, I am the vine. Earlier he said the true vine. I am the true vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Would you pray with me as we close? God in heaven, <clears throat> I thank you that you want to connect with us, that you want so badly to connect with us that you sent your one and only son to come and live as one of us, to teach us how to live and to die for us and to rise again. I pray, oh God, wherever we are in that journey, that we would take one more step, that we would express our desire to come to know you, uh, to know you that we would ask for you to forgive us and step into your kingdom. I pray, Lord, for all of us, most people easily in the sound of my voice, who have already come to that place, as did the Apostle Paul, that there's one step we can take. Maybe it's joining a life group. Maybe it's something else. God, would you speak to us what that might be? Would you give us the name of a person that we could talk to who might encourage us on the way? And I pray, God, you would take each of us wherever we are one step further, deeper, further up and further in, in our connection with you, that we might discover a little bit of that something incredible that you have for us. Lord, help us to see and know and sense your presence in this place. Help us to see and know and sense your presence in the world every day, everywhere we go. Help us to long to be in step and in, in rhythm with your spirit and to know Christ, to gain Christ even more. And may you receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.